chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, boy, such an appropriate passage, always an appropriate passage, that's just the way the Bible is, isn't it? But uh, if you will, turn over there, you got me going up there? Uh, I don't, there we go, now we're going. And so Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, you have noticed if you've been with us going through the book of Hebrews, or if you know the book of Hebrews, and if you don't know either one, I'll tell you, there's, uh, there's been a, kind of a shift going on here in the book of Hebrews, and we're right in the middle of it really switching, and that's a switch from uh, uh, pointing out the beauties and the greatness of who the Lord Jesus Christ is, beginning in the first chapter with how he's the creator, he holds all things together. He's working all things according to the, uh, the plan and how he's greater than the priest and he's greater than the angels and he's greater, he's greater than everything and anything. And then uh, how, since it's a letter specifically to Hebrews, how everything that God did on Mount Sinai with giving of the law and the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the priest, all of those were shadows. They were all things that pointed to the greater reality of who Jesus Christ is. And that now that Christ has come, why in the world would you go back to the shadow? That's, that's just insanity. And, it, and for those who don't go back to the shadow, but pick something else, uh, you know, materialism or Buddhism or anything else, that's even, that's even crazier. But it's all crazy. It's all just missing the point of who Christ is. And we're right in that, that part that is changing from exalting Christ and pointing out the greatness of who Christ is to, okay, now walk by faith in the realities of what he has done. And so that beautiful verse here in chapter 10, verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, that Jesus Christ by his person and by his work ha makes people perfect. He makes them fit to be in a relationship with God. He makes them fit for heaven. He gives us a new body that's perfect. He just does everything in a perfect way. And, and the fruit or the evidence that that's going on is there's a perfecting work going on in our lives until that day when it is made fully perfect. And we understand that that comes when a person understands the consequences of their sin and puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they cling to him. They cling to his work on the cross. They cling to his resurrection. Or as we sang earlier, we believe. This is what we believe. Now here in this particular section, as we've been seeing, then the great encouragement of the, being the Christian life is this thing is not working. Oh, maybe it helps if I turn it on. There we go. <laughs> oh, Lord, it's amazing you, you can accomplish anything with what you got to work with here. But anyway, uh, it is to grow in our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the word confidence means with faith, with belief, to grow in our faith in Jesus. So in verses 22, 23, and 24, we have these three let us, let us, let us live by faith. And, and we do that by drawing near in full assurance of our faith. Let us live in hope. 
continuing to confess the promises that he has given us because he is faithful. He's the only one who's perfectly faithful. And let us live loving one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Isn't that interesting in light of everything that's going on? Um, uh, But encouraging one another even more as you see the day coming. So grow in your confidence in faith. And then last week, we looked at verses 26 through 31, and this whole terrifying thing that can happen, okay, it's still not working and it's on. So you're going to have to help me out up there. Okay, go on to the next one. There we go. So we have this urgency of growing confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an urgency in every situation. What does it look like to put my confidence in Jesus? What does that look like? And so we saw that last week in 26 through 31 of of how a person, from a human perspective now, how a person can throw away their confidence in Christ and put their confidence in something other than Jesus, in a belief in materialism, in a belief in some other belief system, in a belief in themselves. And it really doesn't make any difference what else they put their faith in. It's just as futile. And and so we have this very severe warning of apostasy in verse 26 through 31, which remember last week, we said is someone who was a part of the believing community, were present in the believing community. They obviously were not a true believer because at some point they threw it all away and says, I no longer believe in Jesus Christ. I no longer believe in his work. I'm putting my confidence in something else or in myself. So the sin of apostasy, we're not talking here about people who are trying to walk with the Lord and they believe what we've said we believe and they continue to wrestle with sin. That's not what this is about. It is about those who have thrown away their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd go on to the next one, this thing really is not working. The danger of throwing away our confidence in Christ. Now, why is that on the heart of the one who wrote this? Why is it on the heart of the Spirit of God who gave us this letter through the author of Hebrews? Well, it's kind of like this. Some years ago, uh, we as a family visited the Grand Canyon. And when we visited the Grand Canyon, I mean, we had, I think, all 11 kids with us. And we were at a particular area that didn't have any rails. And so you know how this plays out. The kids want to run up to the edge and look over it. Dad wants to run up to the edge and look over it. But mom doesn't want any of us close, especially after you've been through the visitor center and heard about how many fell to their death that year. And so, I mean, you could just hear Camilla. Get away, stay away from that edge, don't do that. And I finally, it probably wasn't the right thing to do. I finally said, Camilla, why don't you just go sit over there? Because, I mean, we're taking a decade off your life right here through this experience. (laughs) But it was a rightful concern. Uh, Maybe especially considering my attitude. Uh, maybe there was a lot of reason to be really concerned. 
And, uh, and that's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here. It's saying, stay away from the pit of apostasy. Don't see how close you can get. You can fall right in. And I know you think you never would, but you can get to the day where, man, this particular thing, you're going to have confidence in this, or you're going to have confidence in this, or you're going to have confidence in this, and your confidence in Christ is gone. And the picture that's presented for us is, is either we're growing in confidence in Christ in what he did on the cross and through the resurrection and his intercession today and his return one day and eternal heaven. Either we have a growing confidence in that or we release that confidence. And as verse 31 says, we fall into the hands of a living God, which is a terrifying experience because vengeance is him and he must judge sin. And if you release what Christ did to pay for your sin, you will personally pay for it at the hands of God. And so stay away. There's a great danger of throwing it away. Now, why would the author be concerned about that? Well, let's read verses 32 down through the rest of the chapter. And actually, I'm going to jump into a couple verses in Hebrews 11 that we're just going to read this morning. So beginning of verse 32. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him." But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Why was there concern on the part of this person? Why are they giving these loving uh, sense of urgency to build our confidence in Christ? Because they had moved away. There had been, as it says in verse uh, 38 and 39, there'd been some shrinking back. If you will, there had been some drift. And so this was a very real danger. If you go on to the next slide there. This was a very real danger that he had noticed in their life, a shrinking back. Don't you love that term? Well, it's not a good thing. But isn't it a descriptive term? Let me put it, that's a better way to say it. Shrinking back. Shrinking back is a absolutely normal response to pain. Amen? I mean, when we feel pain, what's the automatic response? Pull back. Now, that's a helpful mechanism in our lives in many arenas so that you don't keep holding on to the pain when it's hot. You shrink back. But because of sin, uh, it, can, it can work 
opposite as well. And by that I mean, if you want to keep your body in shape, what do you have to do? You got to shrink back from the table every once in a while. You got to shrink back and press yourself through exercise. I mean, there's things, there's pain that you have to put yourself through for the sake of something on the other side. Or for example, you've got something going on in your body that a surgeon can cure by cutting on you. I mean, who says, oh boy, you, you do the pain and you don't shrink back from the surgery, you press through the surgery for a greater reward. And one of the great challenges of the Christian life is that by faith, we live in Christ and we believe his promises and it's all about a hope of the future. It's all about a hope of things that are not necessarily seen. Well, I shouldn't say not, they're not seen. They're not seen. And so there has to be this constant moving forward. And look at how he compares how they used to be living and how they have drifted from it. Remember the former days when after having been enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, like what? Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. The word uh, public spectacle is the word theater. You were openly mocked and you were openly ridiculed. You were just made a public spectacle, a laughing stock. And you were also became sharers with those who were so treated. And if you weren't experiencing that, and there were others who were put in prison because of their faith in Christ, you willingly identified yourself with them by becoming a sharer with them. And that's, by the way, one of the marks of being a true follower of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did, you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invited you in or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick? or in prison, and come to you. And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it, to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. That's the emphasis in this passage. How are we loving other believers? And one of the things that these group of people were doing is when a brother or sister was put in prison or treated harshly because of their faith, they were very willing to identify with them and put themselves at risk as well. 
Jesus says that's a mark of a true follower of mine. And he goes on to say, um, you showed sympathy, you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Think about that. The government would come in and say, this is my house. And you had to move out. This is my car. That's my cell phone. I paid for it with my own money. No, this is ours. That's what the Roman government was doing. That's what governments in the world are doing today. I mean, we, we think we'd be incensed about that. How did they accept it? Joyfully? Really joyfully? Think about that. They accepted it joyfully. How could you do that? How could you do that? What does it say? They had a better possession and a lasting one. They said, you can take my house here, but you can take that one. You can take all my stuff here, but hey, I'm laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust and Roman governments, no government can take it from me and the neighbors can't either. And so there's that beautiful reality of the way they were walking by faith in this living hope of the future and loving each other, and they had drifted from it some. Now, I want to say to us that some of you are in that place, and you are being made a public spectacle. I know some of you in classrooms that's happening. I know some of you in workplaces that's happening, in neighborhoods it's happening. And that is certainly a very real experience for some. And maybe they don't steal your property, they just give you a a really bad grade. For many of us, though, it's the other extreme, and it's not so much as shrinking back, it really is drifting. It's drifting because we don't understand the importance of walking by faith in the mundane things of life. We don't understand how important it is as a single person to use our time for the glory of God in making disciples. And so we're okay with spending our time and our energy and maybe our money on things that don't matter. Or as a couple, we don't really understand that I should love my wife and I should do that and it should cost me something. Oh, nobody's going to notice. So what? So what? I do it for something beyond this world. And so it's easy to forget in the mundaneness of life of some of you taking care of, you know, one-year-olds and two-year-olds and three-year-olds and think, what's the point of walking by faith? What's the point of seeing the importance? Well, it's a big importance to raise a human being and disciple them in the ways of the Lord. It's a big deal. It's probably the biggest deal. And so sometimes it's easy to drift away because we don't see the importance of walking by faith for greater realities in the future. And so there's this real danger from shrinking back or drifting from our confidence in Christ. What do we do about it? What do we do about it? Verse 36, you have need of endurance. We need endurance. And what is endurance? Endurance the, the word literally means to abide or to stay under pressure. 
Now, who likes doing that? <laughs> it, it, it just means we stay under the pressure. Um, and, and when it comes to Christianity, it really is a supernatural deal. It's what happens when all of our energies and all our resources are gone. And we literally say, I have nothing to cling to but you, Jesus, and what you promised. And so there's that endurance. It's a mindset. It's a mindset that says, I will not quit. You just take those words out of your vocabulary. I will not quit. I'm going to, I'm going to use my energy to cling to you, Jesus, and cling to your promises. I'm not going to spend my time figuring out what my breaking point is. And if I die, well, that's a win. And if I live through this, I'm more like Christ. Either way, it's a win deal. But I will not quit. And so, it's an endurance is so much of a mindset. Uh, so I put it this way in your notes. Go on to the next one there, if you would, please. Hourly until I get to heaven. Endurance has to do with every moment along the way for all of life. It really does include both of those. Hourly, in this particular situation, that I don't know how I'm going to make it through, I'm going to look to you and I am not going to stop trusting you. And I will continue to cling to you. In this particular situation that I'm convinced that I am not competent for, but you've called me to do, maybe it's making disciples, maybe it's something else, I am going to move towards that and be faithful to that. Because as the Apostle Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? None of us are. I find a sufficiency in Christ. And so we move towards things that freak us out. We trust the Lord for situations that we think we're going to break. And if we break and die, that's a win. If we live through it, as I said, we're more like Christ. And so we need endurance. If you look down at verse 34, in the, if you have a new King James Version... Um, it actually emphasizes this. If you have, uh, like I have the New American Standard, you, it, you can miss this. But the end of verse 34, it says, having for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So here's the King James, New King James. A better and an enduring possession. Same word. Enduring possession. So how do you endure tribulations. How do you walk by faith? You look for what's really enduring. You look for what's on the other side. You look for what God has promised us. And this mindset of endurance is a common encouragement in Scripture, isn't it? I mean, it's all throughout. We're going to get to Hebrews 11 next week, example after example after example after example after example of people from the past that are intended to encourage us to trust God for what he has planned for us, as crazy and ludicrous as it may seem, and we just continue to trust him. James, who, half-brother of Jesus, who pastored the church in Jerusalem, who knew something about being made public spectacles, 
who knew something about having their property taken away from them. I mean, you can just read through the first part of the book of Acts, and one of the first things that characterizes the early church is people selling their property to meet the needs of other people. One of the things that characterizes them is continuing to trust the Lord. So Peter and um, John are called into trial, you know, and they said, well, do it to us what you want, but we just can't stop talking about Jesus. The apostles are thrown in jail. God breaks them out. You have Stephen publicly stoned to death right there. And what does James tell us? James tells us in the first part of his letter there, go on to the next slide if you would, please. Consider what? All joy. joy. When you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be what? And complete, lacking in nothing. He who has made us perfect is perfecting us. How does that happen? By us growing in our faith because of a confidence in Him who is promised and continuing to radically love one another. And so we could say it this way. Go on to the next one, if you would, please. We live by faith with endurance. We live in hope for what really endures. And we live life loving others with and for those who endure. And this is one of the great reasons we get together is to keep provoking, stimulating one another to love and good deeds, to keep enduring. It's a brutal world, and we all have a tendency to shrink back and to draw back. Well, the last two, uh, I shouldn't say the last two, the next two verses in here come out of the book of uh, Habakkuk, Habakkuk. And um, yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean when you're in the midst of a time where you want to quit? It means Jesus is coming right on time. He's coming right on time. He's not messing with you. He's not stringing you along. He is coming right on time. And until then, the ones who have been made righteous in Christ shall live by faith. And if he or she shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in them. Now, this comes out of the book of Habakkuk, as I said. And, and if you read the book of Habakkuk, which may take about eight minutes, um, you'll see that it just emphasizes the whole point being made here. I'm going to read part of it. I'd encourage you to read it sometime today. Like I said, it'll take about eight minutes. But let me read it to you out of the Living Bible. So, this is the message that came to the prophet Habakkuk in a vision from God. So here, he says, O Lord, how long must I call for help before you will listen? I shout to you in vain, there is no answer. 
help. Murder, I cry, but no one comes to save. Must I forever see this sin and sadness all around me? And he's talking about his own Jewish people. Whenever, wherever I look, there's oppression and bribery and men who love to argue and to fight. The law is not enforced and there is no justice given in the courts. For the wicked far outnumber the righteous and bribes and trickery prevail. You get his internal angst here? Well, the Lord replied, look and be amazed. You will be astonished at what I am about to do. For I am going to do something in your own lifetime that you will have to see to believe. I'm raising up a new force in the world scene, the Chaldeans, a cruel and violent nation who will march across the world and conquer it. They are notorious for their cruelty. They do as they like, and no one can interfere. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They are a fierce people, more fierce than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry moves proudly forward from a distant land like eagles. They come swooping down to pounce on their prey. All opposition melts away before the terror of their presence. They collect captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn their forts. They simply heap up dirt against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like wind and are gone, but their guilt is deep, for they claim their power is from their gods. Now this was not comforting to Habakkuk. This raised a whole new issue in his heart. He wasn't, he was asking God to fix the situation. He had some idea of how he thought God should fix it. God says, well, I'm going I'm to bring my discipline upon my people through this very cruel and wicked nation. Now you can see Habakkuk has a new challenge with understanding who God is. And so he says, oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are eternal. Is your plan in all of this to wipe us out? Surely not. Oh, God, our rock, you have decreed the rise of the Chaldeans to chasten and to correct us for our awful sins. We are wicked, but they far more. Will you, who cannot allow sin in any form, stand idly by while they swallow us up? Should you be silent while the wicked destroy those who are better than they? Are we but fish to be caught and killed? Are we but creeping things that have no leader to defend them from their foes? Must we be strung up on their hooks and dragged out in their nets? While they rejoice, then they will worship their nets and burn incense before them. These are the gods who make us rich, they'll say. Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless wars? I will climb my watchtower now and wait to see what answer God will give to my complaint. And the Lord said to me, Write my answer on a billboard, large and clear, so that anyone can read it at a glance and rush to tell others. And here's our two verses. But these things I planned won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Note this. 
Wicked men trust themselves alone and fail. But the righteous man trusts in me and lives. The book goes on, and there's some other very familiar verses in here, but here's the way that it ends. Your horsemen marched across the sea. The mighty waters piled up. Habakkuk says, I trembled when I hear all this. My lips quiver with fear. My legs give way beneath me and I shake in terror. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees are all destroyed and there is neither blossom left nor fruit, and though the olive crops all fail and the fields lie barren, even if the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be happy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will give me the speed of a deer and bring me safely over the mountains, or you may be more familiar with, he will make my feet like deer's feet and make me stand on high places. In other words, he will cause me to be as sure-footed of the deer as I trust in him, and he works his plan. And so here in Hebrews, the just shall live by faith. Verse 39, but we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Don't you love the way the writer says, I look out at you and I see you as those who want to walk by faith. I see you as those who want to live in this hope. I see that you as those who want to grow in loving one another. And so here's a little exercise for us. We won't take time to do it this morning because it takes a little bit more time than that. Go ahead and put up the next slide there. So how am I doing? Do I need to place my confidence in Jesus Christ for the first time ever? There may be some of you here who have never turned to Christ. Well, that's where it begins. You cast away confidence in anything else, your good works, your righteousness, your church attendance, your baptism, anything else. And you put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. For many of us, I've placed my confidence in Jesus. Well, how do you like the way I spelled salvation there for <laughs> salvation? Anyway, doesn't change the truth. Thank you, Lord. That's, that's actually the uh, Greek spelling, but uh, <laughs> oh, my soul. I just shrunk back, actually. So, uh, have I shrunk back or drifted? Have I grown in confidence? So here's what I want to encourage us to do. Uh, set aside an hour sometime this week and just, just answer that. You know, here it says you used to do this, but you're not doing that anymore. Has there been a shrinking back? Has there been a drifting from the simple faith in Christ and, and walking and living for what is future more than now. Because if there is, it's time to get on track, back on track. And if you're still doing great, keep the pedal on the metal and keep walking by faith, living in hope, loving one another.
Amen? Let's pray together. Well, Lord, again, thank you for your word and thank you that it accomplishes things that are humanly impossible. And thank you for your spirit who brings your word to light and, and uh, encourages us, uh, points out areas where we need to repent. Uh, I just want to thank you that you're all about bringing life. You're all about the preserving of our soul. And so, Lord, I really do pray that each of us could take some time this week and we could just do a little evaluation and to think back on maybe some of the earlier years of our Christian life or a particular time when we were really walking by faith with an all-outness, not counting the things of this world of any value, but counting the promises and what you have for us in the future. Because, Lord, we, we have to confess we fall into this American idea of enjoy now, pay later. Lord, we want to live in your calling where we pay now and we enjoy forever. So work that fully into our hearts. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.